The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and riding solo here today, but I want to give a shout out to my two co-hosts, J.O. and Damo. Just want to tell my brothers a happy Father's Day and hope that many of you all enjoyed your Father's Day out there, all the dads and all the listeners out there as well. Hope that you had a restful and wonderful Father's Day out there to all the listeners within the sound of my voice. And also, happy Juneteenth to everybody out there as well. Shout out there to all the listeners out there stateside and worldwide continuing to spread the word out there. We cannot thank y'all enough for continuing to spread the word. Of course, you can always visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. You can check out all the episodes from the past catalog. Also go and leave a review and make sure that y'all continue to spread the word by getting that link out there at vaultclassicpod.com. And of course, hitting us up on social media to let us know what you think. As we always like to say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or MBTC. Today, (laughs) this is no run-of-the-mill album and review that we're doing here today. This is a special one. And I know I say that a lot here on The Vault. We talk about albums that are special, these classics that we review on these anniversary dates of 2025 and 30 years. But this one truly is a special one because... I think of how much it has meant to the culture and the unlikely route that it took to get to this place where it is in the culture is just as big as the story as the album itself. And so now we're going to go back 25 years ago. We're going to go back to June 17th, 1997 to the debut studio album of none other than Capone and Noriega, the war report recorded between 1995 and 97 with a runtime of 70 minutes and 43 seconds on Penalty, Tommy Boy, and Warner Brother Records. Now, the producers on this, it is quite the list of who's who, especially those who were producers that were big, not just in New York, but throughout East Coast hip-hop, and a list that is quite respected for their producing credits. We're talking about the likes of Lord Finesse, 6 July Brody, Nasheem Myrick, Easy LP, Clark Kent, G Money, Buck Wild, the legendary DJ Molly Maul, Charlemagne, and also Tragedy Gaddafi, and more on Tragedy himself coming up in just a second, as well as Naughty Shorts. So we're going to get into the war report and how it was made. And let's even give a little bit of the story, though, for those of you who are not as familiar with Capone and Noriega as a group. Now, go a little bit back and let's say early in the 90s. Now, how Capone and Noriega found each other was 
when they met when they were serving prison beds at Greenhaven Correctional Facility. They had a common love for basketball and as well as being affiliated with the streets. And of course, they were both fans of hip hop. They formed this friendship almost into a brotherhood during prison. And when they got out, they decided to form a group and they wouldn't form a group. It wasn't until at least 1995. And at that particular time, in 1995, they were a commodity. As a matter of fact, by the time 95 rolled around, they were featured in the fall of 95 in Unsigned Hype. And that led to them getting their first record deal and eventually laid the groundwork of them recording this album, The War Report, which will become known as The War Report. They found a mentor and Juice Crew member and QB native, Tragedy Gaddafi. And he pretty much played a really big role in them developing their sound and also, he played a really big role on this album, as we'll talk about in just a second. But to get a little bit in regards to this album, I mean, when I said this was a big one, it, I mean, just to be able to go through how big this album was and how it kind of like started just as a spark of a match that was thrown into a set of coals full of lighter fluid, and then it caught on. And then once it caught on, what was just a little spark eventually came into a full blazing fire. And by the time I finished up my school year, that year heading into was my sophomore year. This album was probably big, as big as most of the other albums that we heard during 1997. And that would follow even afterwards. It really was, I would say, a cult following of the album and also a cult following of the group. This would also usher in a couple of different movements along the way. Now we're going to get into it. First thoughts and reflections. So to go in about how I first found out about Capone Noriega. Now, I found out about them initially when they appeared with Mob D on Teen Summit of all shows doing a live performance of LA LA. And for those who don't remember back in that particular time, this is in the midst of like 1995 into 1997, where there's this beef between Bad Boy and Death Row, really between Tupac and Biggie that eventually spread out to just beyond those two labels and those two men, but then became a bigger thing where it was rappers from California or LA and Southern California and rappers from New York. And then Mob Deep got roped into all of this. Really the, the big thing that got LA LA started is there was a response to the dog pound record with Snoop Dogg called New York, New York. And the video that they were shooting in New York, the dog pound was with Snoop featured them pretty much supersized kicking over and stepping on buildings in New York, iconic buildings in New York. That kind of set people off. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that because of a radio interview, I believe that Biggie did during that time that said that people are out here, they're doing stuff like this, that he actually, there was a shooting on the set of the video while Dog Pound and Snoop were actually shooting the video for New York, New York in New York. So LA LA was a response to New York, New York. And I remember them doing this performance on Teen Summit of all shows right around the, uh, the spring of 1997. At this time, you know, I'm reading the source and I knew about Capone and Noriega after reading about them through Unsigned Hype. And there was some chatter on the few internet sites about this group that was coming out of Queens and people were making some deal about them because they you know, obviously there were these singles out there that I didn't really know a whole lot about, but people are like, yo, the album's coming down the pipe. Not only that, but then you also see the promos for the album and the source in that spring heading into that summer. Well, 
at that point, the summer comes around. I'm finishing up my freshman year. This is literally right around the time when it's our last day of classes. And we finish up school. We're home for the summer. And during that particular time, I mean, I didn't have any job or anything like that. So my job basically was to be around the house and make sure that it was clean to if the grass needed to be cut, if the dishes needed to be washed, if I had to wash clothes or vacuum or anything else and just not get into trouble. That was my job during the summer. So, of course, you're going to meet up with your friends. You go play basketball, you ride bikes, you, you know, play video games, you play football. So. I remember meeting up with a few of my friends and I was with my boy CJ. He tells me, he's like, yo, man, I actually picked up that the Capone and Noriega. And I'm like, yo, I've been hearing about them. So we picked up the album. So I pick up the album, you see it. And it's like, yo, that's these dudes in here. They got the fatigues on. It's like, okay, this is interesting. He was like, yo, you know, they, they from at least, you no, know, they from QB. They're from Queensbridge from where mob deep and where Nas and you know, all that from like, okay, well, this joint's got it had got to be worth something. So we're turning it around and we're seeing who's featured on it. Now, I knew a little bit about tragedy and I just didn't know him as tragedy Gaddafi. And I knew that Havoc was on there and I saw Mob Deep and I was like, okay, this is um this is gonna be interesting because you know, hey, Mob Deep, okay, Havoc producing on here, okay. Shh, man, let's go. <laughs> let's go ahead and pop this in and see what it's titting on. So we listened to it, and this is maybe about I would say a week or so after the album came out. And that this became a soundtrack for the summer. I mean, we were sitting there listening to it and we're so blown away by what we had heard because it's like it came out of nowhere. And so when we played this joint and listening to like, you know, the beats and then listening to the rhymes, it was like, you know, sort of like the type of things that we like. Like my friends and I, we were really big fans of Bob Deep, big fans of Nas. We liked Biggie. We we were really big New York rap fans during that time. So this was right in our alleyway. But at this time in 97, things are a little bit different. Rap in particular from the East Coast or from New York was sort of suffering from a little bit of an identity crisis. Because right in this time is in the aftermath of Biggie being murdered. This is about two, maybe three months after Life After Death has come out. Right into the mid-90s, you had this moment where you had only built for Cuban links, and you had it was written, and you had Reasonable Doubt, where you had this feeling that it was more so mafioso-based. Like, the music was more so like, you know, everybody was on the mafia motif. That was the big thing. Starting, like, around late 94, into, like, 95, 96, that was a big thing when it came to a lot of New York rappers. But then, after Biggie's death... You also see the game start to shift a little bit more and Diddy and Bad Boy has now started to blow up. So now we start getting into what people call like that flossing era in hip hop where, you know, you had the shiny suits and the beats are a little bit more dancey and but they're a little bit more. I don't want to say bubble gum, but it's definitely not the hard stuff that people are used to. You were used to hearing like in that mid 90s, typical New York rap, East Coast rap. So it was kind of like in between mafioso, in between shiny suits, commercial, dancey type stuff. But Capone and Noriega were neither one of those. And I think that was a niche they needed to fill that was badly underserved. This really was like grimy street tales, really kind of gangster in a sense, you could say. Because, I mean, these are two guys done a prison bed. They had been a part of the street life, knew what street life was about, and it felt authentic. I mean, and then you go to the album cover. I mean, fatigues <laughs> with the buildings behind them and then boots. And it's like, yeah, well, this is 
definitely something when you talk about how people report from wars, like journalists that are embedded with certain military attachments, it almost felt like you were hearing straight from war how they were on the streets. But it was grimy. I mean, we heard grimy hip hop before. And, you know, we had been through the movements of the woo, been through with Ducktown, been through with Nas and Mob Deep, and then individual stuff with Raekwon and Jizza and Ghostface and Biggie. We had all of that. But this just felt like really different. And it kind of was, I want to say, needed in a, in a sense where we needed this during this particular time. I mean, New York hip hop needed Capone and Noriega to drop at this time, but it was almost like so unexpected because they were the group that some people were sort of paying attention to. But when they came on the scene, it was almost like you couldn't take your eyes off of them or couldn't stop listening to it. It was a pleasant, pleasant surprise to take this even further to then find out that Capone got jailed on a parole violation. So a majority of this album needed to be finished mostly by Noriega, but then to have a tragedy step in and also do a number of guest verses on here, which is to me, very, very, very clutch. We talked a lot about MVPs on the albums. A couple of weeks ago, Jay and I talked about how Deck was the MVP of the Wu-Tang forever double disc album. To me, tragedy is sort of the unsung hero MVP of this joint because he stepped in a lot where that void was missing where Capone didn't have as many verses so you take all of that and then you take like just the mood of the production like you know Havoc's in there you can tell the Havoc beats when you hear them then you see the likes of Molly Maul producing on this Charlemagne not that Charlemagne <laughs> Lord Finesse and all these shorts easy LP to hear like these beats that had a very dark and sinister tone to most of them only one beat or a couple of beats on here don't have as sinister of a tone to them and the I will get to that in just a second as far as what those beats are but man I thought I was the only one that was on this but then as I'm running into the people during the summertime a lot of my folks especially my hip-hop friends the ones who would sit there and be at the lunch table with me and on the bus and talking about projects so many of them would be like, yo, you heard that war report? Yo, you heard that war report? Like, it became a big topic of conversation as we're at the basketball court. We're talking hip-hop. All the joints that are coming out during the summertime, everybody mentioned this joint. There were people that I didn't even think were into, like, hardcore hip-hop like that, that were mentioning this and being like, yo, that Capone Noriega joint, because it was sort of like, not everybody caught on to it immediately. You listen to it, or maybe if you didn't listen to it, your man or someone that you knew listened to it, they told you about it. So then you ended up listening to it, and then you had to tell somebody else about it. Now, this album, when it comes to sales, only went gold. But it went there, despite the fact that this wasn't a highly commercialized album. I mean, there are only a couple of different singles that went out there. We talk about T-O-N-Y, L-A-L-A, and Illegal Life, but these weren't songs that were being played on the radio. So if you add it up, not really a lot of radio play. There were videos for a couple of these joints, but these weren't widely circulated videos. This album really made its success on the word of mouth of everybody who listened to it, who told other people, yo, you got to go listen to this Capone Noriega joint. Join is the truth. It's really, really crazy. So that's how it blew up. So then by the time the end of the year comes around, it's like, all right, we cool. We we know about Capone and Noriega now. And then now it turns around where it sort of changes a little bit of the atmosphere around New York and East Coast hip hop. Like they get into a niche that they're not mafioso. They're not pop oriented. They're not flashy suits. It's not flossing. 
it's definitely just hardcore hip hop talking tales of street life. And if you look about what happened later on in that year, I think it really kind of served the blueprint of what we saw, I would say, by 98. By the time we got to 98, that folks said, oh, well, you know, hip hop's headed into this jiggy area and flossing and, you know, flashy suits and everything to where it kind of got a little bit back to the essence where things got much more grimier, i.e. seeing DMX's album, Capital Punishment by Big Pun in 1998, being able to see albums like that really get pushed out there and then become successful as a result of the shift that sort of happened. I'll even call it a mini shift, but yeah, man, it's just incredible. And it was an album that it was almost like a legend. You learned about it. You talked about it. And by the time you it got to the fourth or fifth person in line, the legend of the album grew so big that it was almost like a myth. Highlights and lowlights. So my highlights and lowlights from Capone Noriega World Report. Now, I mean, just off the break, that intro <laughs> with that beat by Charlemagne, just, oh, my goodness. Sinister, sinister beat with those vocal samples that when you think about it, you kind of glossed over when you heard them in the songs that they were they included. So, you know, you're sort of like hearing like, you know, the lines by Prodigy and Nas. And it's just like, damn, that's wild, man. Like that, this they were talking about these dudes the whole time. And then you get to the second track with Bloody Money and <laughs> Bloody Money is just an absolutely insane track. To start things off, I thought that was perfect to start this album off with that. Then you get in the driver's seat, which, you know, you get a nice little taste of that as well. And of course, how I knew this album was really big off of those two tracks alone. I'm listening to a backyard band, Gogo Band here in the DMV area. For those of y'all who are not familiar, they put out an album called Skillet, which was a studio album. They recorded the songs they normally hit during their live shows. Well, go-go bands do a lot of somewhat covers, what you like to call them. They'll hit a groove. The groove will be similar to a song that has been popular out there in some cases. And sometimes what happens is they'll take a hook from a song and modify it, or sometimes even a verse of a song and modify that. Well, when I heard the backyard band song, Keep It Real, and I heard Los, who was the second mic or the rapper for backyard band, spit a verse similar to the same way that Noriega spit his verse from bloody money. So instead of New York, get the bloody money, it was DC, get the bloody money. And so, and then when they would hit the hook on it, they were taking the hook from driver's seat. I keep it real with a nigga, keep it real with me. And I was like, Oh man, they took this joint from CNN. And to me, I kind of thought that was wild because there would be some Google bands that would hit things from New York rappers, but it wasn't something that I was expecting to be able for them them to take something from CNN and then translate it into Gogo. That's when I knew the reach of this had gone a lot further than I initially thought. But those are two of my standouts. The storytelling on Stick You, the fact that it was a song about them basically getting done dirty from a drug deal and drugs that are not actually what they're supposed to be was wild but the story of that really kind of ropes you in and this is the first time that you hear tragedy on this and you start to see the glue that he plays in putting this together the song parole violators that beat by havoc (laughs) my gosh that beat by havoc is wild it is ridiculous and then the verses that you get on there it just man and then i mean tragedies alone it was just like yo that like you talk about sinister that really really was sinister um and noriega did this thing on that as well havoc on the on the hook just really kind of ropes you in and then when you get into the rest of the album more of my highlights come from really that run between track six all the way to i would say really until about track 14 or so i mean 
When you get into like Iraq to see the world, obviously Noriega's tribute that he had to Capone about when he found out Capone was actually going up north. He was going to go do a bid on Live Long, Live Long. And that beat, of course, is something that will always stick with me. The standout, obviously, man, is T-O-N-Y, Top of New York. And Nori's verse on that, where a lot of people, when they heard T-O-N-Y, that was their introduction to the Capone and Noriega. If you lived in certain places and were in certain circles, that really is your introduction to CNN. That is a standout. But then getting into Thug Paradise, well, this is one of those beats that is not really like a grimy, gritty, haunting, dark beat. It's definitely something a little bit more up-tempo, but... To me, it works on here. I know I know some people that have listened to this and said they don't really like this joint that much. But, you know, to me, I actually like it because it's a little bit of a change up. Capone Bone is an interesting song because, you know, it's one of the couple of Capone tracks on here that are solo tracks. And this is produced by Molly Mall. And I got to give Capone credit for him doing this joint. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> it's cool. I really don't have, pro- have a problem with it. Getting into like halfway thugs. And then, of course, L.A., L.A., great joints. I mean, I love L.A., L.A., and I love, like, the fact that they used that sample. And as a matter of fact, I believe, like, that sample that they use is the same sample that is used for Biggie's The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is produced by RZA. And that's, I, I believe that sample is that The Letter by Al Green. Illegal Life is another standout here. This also was, in many respects, the first single that they put out on a promo joint And around 1995-96, that features production by both Tragedy and also Havoc, and also has Havoc there as a featured artist along with Tragedy. Getting into like the last couple of tracks on here, when you get into Black Gangsters, produced by Buck Wild, Awesome Beat, Great Verses by Tragedy and Nori on this joint. Um, And then Closer, which actually is, includes like the Snam Seed remix on a lot of the later pressings but the original pressings of the albums had that version but there's a couple of different versions out there and that was produced by clark kent the capone phone interludes are definitely interesting especially the outros because it kind of lets you know man this was a real thing they were dealing with i mean capone actually was locked up for a good portion of this album and nori had to finish this with the rest of the supporting cast around with this so it kind of brings that whole thing of you home is like they were a group and in the middle of them recording this capone Finds himself in trouble again, needs to go away, and Nori has to be the one that has to finish all of this. So that really does bring yet another part of the mythology of this album out there. I don't really have a whole lot of lowlights. I mean, the only little nitpicks I guess I have in regards to this really would be the opponent Noriega live interlude. I mean, to me, if they'd have kept that around maybe a minute or so, I'd have been all right. But I think this was one of the tracks that I would always skip. I think I'll try to listen to it for a little bit and then like a minute in, I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't really have a low light on here, bro. I mean, other than that, man, it's just like, this is something that you have to, some people say you have to be in a certain type of mood to listen to this. And I would agree to that to a certain extent, but I also have to say, man, it's never really a bad time to play this album. And when you get through the track listing, there's not really anything that gets in here that sort of disrupts the timing of this i thought this was sequenced pretty well the production on this is just absolutely insane i think that between havoc and clark kent charlemagne easy lp nashim and six july lord finesse this is crazy 
and tragedies versus on here. Like my goodness, like he was a vet at this particular time. I think having a vet like tragedy involved and helping to shape this album really helped. But then the differences really that you get between Noriega and Capone, the contrast, you get that really nasally sort of strained voice of Capone. You get Nori out there with his very unique voice and him kind of like, you know, has a very unique flow it's at time a little loose, you know what I'm saying? But it worked because that was really the style that carried him throughout his career. Capone really tight when it comes to the lyricism and like, yo, the pictures that they painted on a lot of this man, really, really, really vivid imagery, but you know, not really a lot of low lights on here, man. Just if I had to nitpick that one interlude, but other than that, man, I actually don't have a problem with songs such as Capone, Bone, and Thug Paradise, which some people actually don't like all that much, but I, you know, I'm actually okay with it, you know what I mean? And so to me, I think it was just something that was brilliantly, brilliantly put together. Notable quotables. So my notable quotable actually comes, and we're going to do this, it actually comes from T-O-N-Y, and a lot of people will reference that opening verse by Noriega. I actually think all three of them had excellent excellent verses here and i but to me my standout verse on that song is from tragedy which is the third verse two five we on the deadline read the headline noriega blast with nines move fakers get your back blown in jamaica lay you in the earth and curse you in jamaica i told you fool stop fucking with the maki arab nazi blow holes in your versace this war's mecca with the arm like a legger. Been doing this since Mob 6 with Core Mega. Gorilla, animal thugs be trife looking. Your heart's tookin'. Get blown central booking. I'm mad illa. Organized thug killer. Now you little monkey niggas wanna play gorilla. Officially, Mussolini, Ponkimi, insanity. Temporarily, my plea. And the Jakes never wore me as long as I'm free. To my niggas holding packs, nothing less than a G. Crime side of life, foul price to pay. Illegal life, trigger type, we old and gray. When the flesh dry up, in the world decay. Reach heaven in a purely white accurate. But until then, I'ma shine to my last sin. Resurrect to the birth of my son and live again. That's crazy, man. And tragedy had many different verses on here where he definitely blew the spot up. But like I said, I always give props to him on this album because I felt like he was the glue to help bring this album together, especially when Capone wasn't present for a lot of this recording. So without him, this would have been definitely a lot of solo Noriega joints and no disrespect to Nori because Nori definitely did his thing on this. I mean, this definitely helped to propel Nori to a solo album, which became a pretty well-acclaimed album in 1998, the following year from this. And he helped to carve out a career out of this, which lasted now almost 25 years. So I always give him his props because he was a vet in the game and he had two young guys, man. You think about this, man, Capone and Nori were probably in a like early twenties doing this. And so to have a guy like tragedy come in here and really give them the guidance and also be able to spit some rhymes on here to help keep this album cohesive and together is definitely an underrated aspect of this final verdict so look man there's no other way for me to put this <laughs> this album is big i think as as much as the time i've spent in giving the background for this album and the environment in which this was released and it's almost like you ever know the phrase that people said you had to be there or even when we say on the internet y'all weren't outside well <laughs> i wasn't necessarily outside at that particular time I was outside, yeah, but I wasn't like outside, outside, like grown folks were outside, outside. But being around and present in that moment when this album came out, like I can't really state how big the word got around. Like it really was almost like a word of mouth 
at this time, the beginning stages of like hip hop, internet websites being up and forums and message boards, like that's how this album became big. In a lot of ways, this album became the definition of what a cult classic would be. Capone and Noriega had a cult following as a result of this album. And this album grew to be so big during those 25 years since it's been out that it's something that even when you see that cover, Capone and Noriega there with the fatigues on, with the copies of them behind themselves with those two buildings and that red background, that it's one of the more iconic album covers of the 90s. And it's something that when you go back and you people see that cover, you have people that have nothing but great memories of this album. And I mean, that evokes a certain type of emotion out of people. You get that feeling as far as what that album sounds like. That sound is something that you can't really describe. So we talk about this. The influence of this album has been absolutely impeccable. As a matter of fact, we're waiting for my guys from Breaking Adams to put out their documentary for this, for the making of the War Report, which I cannot absolutely wait for because I know it's going to be absolutely dope. But when we talk about that type of influence and the quality of this album, without a doubt, it's a certified classic. For me, certified classic, 10 out of 10. You can nitpick things about whatever, the interludes and things and the the songs that you think are a little bit too, like, you know, lighthearted for this album. But yo, this album is massive. And the fact that you have the response to it like you have, and 25 years later, people now who are teenagers, who are in their early 20s, that see this album cover and know that the feelings it brings back to them from when they first listened to it and the feeling of the sound that this album is so popularized by is the reason to me why it's a certified classic. It has staying power. It's something that while it hasn't like not a platinum selling album, but the fact that it did that with no commercial singles, with not really any big video play, but literally off of word of mouth, off of a cult following that have projected this album and this group into a part of hip hop history that very few have actually occupied a space that very few have occupied. So I say certified classic, 10 out of 10. Capone Noriega, The War Report, 25 years this past week. Definitely make sure y'all go check it out. Matter of fact, I went to go looking for the vinyl earlier this week and I could not find it for a reasonable price. It definitely is a collector's item. Y'all make sure y'all go check it out. As a matter of fact, there's also a Drink Champs episode this past week. Drink Champs being the podcast with DJ EFN and also with Noriega himself that they did a four hour podcast episode on Drink Champs about the making of the War Report and also having people who were involved in the making of the album. They are present during that podcast. I'm definitely going to check it out this week. I'm probably going to have to separate it into a few segments because I don't know if I could take four hours and listen to it all the way through, but I'm definitely interested in hearing that. Also definitely interested to see what my guys at Breaking Adams, Sumit and Chris, what they do with the documentary. And I know it's going to be dope, just like the Jay-Z documentaries last year were dope about Reasonable Doubt and the Blueprint. So y'all make sure y'all stay tuned to that as well. When it comes out, you know, we will definitely have a word about it on this show. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host on Red Circle. You can also visit us at our website at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. You can go to the website, check out our back catalog, leave us a review, show us some love by leaving us a voice note. The microphone shaded in blue on the bottom right hand corner. Also, you want to go to the coffee cup in the bottom left hand corner, shaded in yellow. That's our buy me a coffee page. You click on that cup. It'll bring you to our buy me a coffee page. 
You can leave a small monetary donation there to show your appreciation to make sure that we can continue keeping the vault open for many years to come. You can also reach us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on Instagram, at Vault Classic on Twitter, and also Facebook and YouTube, the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.